the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. And, of course, we will be discussing a flurry of trade deadline deals yesterday, as well as a star outfielder playing through injury. And we'll start off with the most interesting player alive today. And we are going to play the guess the most searched for player on Fangraphs once again until this man's name is not most searched for. And... The next game we're going to play is when will this not be the most searched for player on Fangraphs? So, you know, tell us who is number one in our hearts. You can teach me after a while. It's got to be Puig. Of course. So, so there's two questions I have. When do you think he will no longer be the most searched for player? And when is the ban on discussing him on the sleeper on the bus going to end? <laughs> I don't know, man. I guess maybe when his, his batting average drops below 300. Oh, we, we might be waiting a while. He's still at like 380, isn't he? Yeah. Man. All right, so we're going to talk about Hiroki Kuroda, who just keeps on rolling. And in July, he has a 0.55 ERA. And that is, let's see, how many earned runs that is. He's allowed a whopping... Two runs in uh, 33 innings in July, which is pretty, pretty good, if I might say so myself. So are we underrating him? The latest consensus rankings that we posted a couple of weeks ago at the All-Star break, we rated him 30th overall for rest of season. I was actually the most pessimistic. Well, actually, the Zips projections were that Zimmerman uh, – put together and uh, I was at 38 you're at 27 but are we underrating him here or uh are we expecting a still a pretty big drop off for the rest of the year man zips and steamer both hate him I mean they both have him for high threes low fours ERA they both project him for the worst whip he'd ever he would have ever shown in the majors so that's kind of weird uh but you know I guess the, the thing is he's so old I mean he's uh He's 38 years old, and uh, he's pitching against the AL. And he, I mean, he does have an above-average swinging strike rate, which he pairs with above-average ground ball rate and uh, elite control. So those things are nice, but his strikeout rate is um, just—I mean—it's uninspiring, I guess I would call it. So uh, you know, most projection systems take that and, and run with it. But you know, now we have. Uh, you know, a thousand innings, and his his batting average on balls in play is uh, 278. So I think at some point you stop, you know, projecting him to regress to the 300 BABIP, and you start using the numbers that he's shown over his career. Yeah, he's actually outperformed his Sierra uh, every year since 2009. 2009, his second season, he was right at his Sierra every other year throughout his career. He's outperformed. I mean, his career ERA right now is 3.28 versus a Sierra of 3.74. So clearly, he does something that 
the ERA estimators just don't understand. But this year, his BABIP is a career best of 255, which is interesting because his pop-up rate, which is a, a real driver of BABIP, is actually at the second worst level of his career, and it's actually below the league average, while his line drive rate is above the league average at nearly 22%. So that's not normally what you would see with uh, a 255 BABIP. So you have to assume there's going to be regression moving forward. Yeah, but you know, one thing about uh, just like with the strand rates, you know, sometimes, um, you know, when I talk to Vogelsong about this, uh, you know, pitchers can actually change their approach uh, depending on if there's men on base or not. And, you know, just looking at, at Kuroda's career approach, he basically uh, goes to the ground ball more with men on base, and his ground ball percentage goes up with men on base, and then it goes up with, if they're in scoring position again. Um, and uh, and that and that actually takes away from the line drive rate a little bit, so that the line drive rate goes down from bases empty to men on base to men in scoring because he's he's getting on the ground more, um, and he just doesn't walk anybody with men on base. So, you know, it's just uh, I know that. You know, we're taught that left on base, you know, sort of regresses to the league average. But, you know, he's a little bit above that in his career and definitely the last two years or three years. Um, and, you know, I think that um, I think that there are things that he can do uh, to to make that Babbitt look look, you know, different. Uh, so I'm not saying that he, he's going to regress to uh, he's going to keep a 250 Babbitt going, but. I'm saying that if I projected him going forward, I'd probably use 280. Yeah, uh, clearly he's a guy that, you know, I, I just mentioned that he's always basically outperformed the Sierra. So we probably don't expect his rest of season ERA to come anywhere close to 380. Or I don't know where the steamer and the zips projections are coming from. I mean, a 406 ERA, really? He's never even had – his career worst ERA was 376. So projecting a 406 the rest of the way makes absolutely no sense. And even Steamer, which I usually agree with, seems pretty high at 388. So I'm definitely not projecting an implosion, but you got to assume regression. I mean that left on base percentage is a career high, and it's probably near or leading all of baseball at this point. So it's got to come down. I mean this basically – he looks like the same exact pitcher he's always been, just with better luck moving forward. And I mean, I don't really know how his value is perceived, but I would think that name value he doesn't have a whole lot of. So it's not like he's a guy that you can really sell high based on name value. It'll just be somebody who thinks that they desperately need pitching and looks at that ERA and thinks they're getting a, a stud. But I don't, I don't think he really has that name value that selling high would really be worthwhile because we still think he'll be a good pitcher moving forward. I mean, 350 ERA, 340 ERA moving forward is still pretty darn good. So yeah. I, I would yeah. say just hold on to him and just hope that he doesn't majorly regress toward his uh, Sierra. It's interesting that he doesn't get more strikeouts considering he has good swinging strike rates. But Yeah, he's actually one of the guys who inspired me to look at the uh, called strike rates on Baseball Reference. And Stack Corner used to also have those numbers. And that's what made me kind of want to come up with a formula because – Corona is very similar to Jaime Garcia in that they get a lot of swinging strikes, but they don't get a lot of called strikes. And the, the lack of called strikes is what's behind the lower strikeout rate than you would expect. I wonder if uh, – this is just something that occurred to me. I wonder if, if you could have 
an expected walk rate or, or, or some metrics that are based on pitching mix because the split finger is a very unique pitch in that, you know, it's really hard to throw for strikes. You, I mean, you almost don't even want to throw the split finger that you throw for strikes is basically what Samarja told me because it would be flat and kind of uninteresting as a pitch. Um, and so, you know, the split finger itself is a pitch that gets you a lot of ground balls, a lot of swinging strikes, and no called strikes. Correct. So, you know, if you knew that a pitcher featured the split finger heavily, um, you might have different opinions. I mean, just look at Mujica. He doesn't have a great strikeout rate either. Um, so, you know, it's, I think that, you know, that's an interesting thing. Maybe, maybe we can uh, do that as we refine the, the, the buckets that we put pitches in. Maybe we can, we can say something about a pitcher based on his arsenal alone. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure I had asked you about league average swinging strike and called strikes based on pitch type. I remember, I think I I IM'd you like last week and I was looking into, I don't remember which pitcher I was looking into, but I think it was Brooks Baseball you told me had it somewhere where they had league average or or some other page. I can't remember. It was actually the Hardball Times, uh, Harry Pavlidis has a great piece called uh, Updated Benchmarks for Pitch Types. And he basically just takes every pitch. The one thing you have to do is if you want to look for swing strike, you have to take whiff times swing. So you have to, you have to do a little math yourself. Uh, he has a whiff percentage in there, but you have to do whiff times swing in order to get um, sw- our swinging strike. But anyway, it, it's nice to look at that because you can see, oh, you know, sliders usually get about 15%. Uh, whiff rate, um, you know, change-ups usually get around 15%. Fastballs are like 6 7%. So you can kind of use that to see if a guy has a good like basically I use that to see how good a pitch is because I took basically you know I took something like Alexio Gondo's changeup and I looked at its whiff rate and its movement and its outcomes based on you know Harry's uh, benchmarks or pitch types and basically you can tell that way that Ogando's changeup is a bad pitch so. Um, you know, it's very helpful when you're trying to analyze how good, you know, a, a third pitch is that someone has. Yeah, and I wish I had that article up right now so I can quickly check the splitter because I would bet that the split finger has a pretty low cold strike rate because, like you said, pitchers don't really throw it in the zone. It's basically low in the zone, dives down out of the zone, and hitters swing right over it. So they either ground out or it's a swinging strike. And so it probably has a low called strike rate, which is, I'm sure, a big factor as to why Kuroda has a high swinging strike rate but a low called strike rate based on his pitch mix. And, and sliders also, I would bet, don't really have a great called strike rate. I would think that curveballs probably have a pretty good strike uh, called strike rate, and Kuroda barely throws curveballs. So you can look right at his pitch mix and immediately know that, yeah, he's probably not going to induce a whole lot of called strikes. Well, you, you did a pretty good job right there, dude. The, uh, the worst balls to called strike ratio in baseball is the split finger, and it's not even close. So you have the article up? Yeah, I have it up right now. Uh, the split finger, there are four balls, four split finger balls to every called strike that's a split finger. Right. Um, and just to show you what that would look like against a fastball, which has the best, um, a four-seam fastball gets... 1.7 balls for every strike. So that's a big difference. That's the biggest difference in, in the sport. Most of the pitches are around 2, 2.5. And then, you know, the curve is actually pretty good. It's one of the, it's one of the best breaking pitches, um, even better than the slider for getting a called strike. 
And then the changeup is is one of the worst with the with the split finger. And it, some people call the split finger a changeup itself. So, you know, that's that's interesting. So the changeup and the split finger are bad for uh, called strikes. All right, let's move along to some trade deadline deals, and we'll start off with probably the biggest name to move, and that's Jake Peavy. And our consensus rankings, we ranked Peavy just two spots ahead of Kuroda. Uh, me personally, I was at 29 for PV versus 38 at Kuroda. You actually liked PV a little less than Kuroda. So what does this do to PV's value? And do you now like PV more than, more than Kuroda in Boston? Actually, you know, I do. I do. Uh, there's a couple reasons. One is just run support. I mean, you know, uh, Boston has a great lineup. And then two is the, the park. This is really interesting. Uh, PV over you know this over this season he's he's had a bit of a home run problem so we know you know the cell is 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 a place for you know that that helps home runs out but um he also is particularly having a problem against lefties with home runs they're uh, they he's hit lefties are hitting uh 1.7 homers per 9 off of him that's that's pretty bad um and Basically, what that means is that um, you know, as he's getting older and in the in the wrong park. But if you look at uh, if you look at the White Sox, they augment homers by nine percent. If you look at Boston, actually, they suppress lefty homers by eight um, percent. So that I think that's really interesting. It, I guess it's a it's a little bit bigger of a park in that in that direction than it is towards the Green Monster. Um, and so you know. Boston's a fairly good place for a right-hander with uh, some troubles against lefties, and um, you know he's obviously going to get more run support. So, and he's getting strikeouts. So, I, I actually do like him. It's interesting the home run park factors for Fenway Park because they got pesky pole right down the line. So basically, if you hit it down the line in right field, that is a great place to hit home runs, and that little section definitely increases home runs. But then you got the huge right center field. Where if you're not hitting it down the line in right field as a right-handed batter, then it's very difficult to hit a home run. And uh, I said a right-handed batter. I mean, as a left-handed batter, if you're not hitting it down the line, then it's very difficult to hit a home run. And that's probably the primary factor behind that uh, 92 park factor from 2012. And, uh, you know, even though the, the Green Monster is very high, obviously, it's close. So if you... Uh, hit a bomb that's very high, it's going to go over the fence, which is why for righties, it's basically neutral. So, yeah, so PV has had that home run problem this year. Fenway is a better home run park. Uh, but the, the one negative is his bad bip is probably going to increase. Uh, the defenses are fairly close to each other, but with righties and lefties banging doubles off of the green monster, yeah. Fenway definitely increases bad bips. So that's going to be the one negative that's going to hurt him. He also lost Iglesias, so. Yeah, that's true as well. Uh, so, but overall, I do think his value gets a boost because uh, he is not going to be getting run support the rest of the way. Although he's been fairly decent. I mean, he is 8-4. and four. It's pretty amazing that he's 8-4 and four and Chris Sale is, what, like 6-11 and 11 at this point? Uh, he lost today, I think. he Yeah, he's 6-11. and 11. That's ridiculous. That he's only yeah. eleven versus eight and four for PV. I, I'm surprised I, that I ranked um, PV ahead of Corona. Huh? I guess what I was thinking was that um, 
the the home run rate would just totally regress and that I didn't you know I thought zips and steamer they were they're projecting him for a, a homer and a quarter uh, per nine the rest of the way and he's never done that in his career I mean I guess his first year uh, in San Diego so um, I feel like you know I might take that back now so I'm um, you know I'm a little concerned, though, about PV just because his swinging strike rate is now tied for uh, a career low. Yeah. So you have to think that maybe his strikeout percentage is going to dip a bit. But I think his ratios are going to improve, and I think that his win total should uh, – the potential wins is going to be better, obviously, on the Red Sox. And look at his Sierra. It's 347 versus a 428 ERA. So I think he's got a stealthy shot at being like a top 20 pitcher the rest of the way. Yeah, well, I think I'd still take Hiroto over him. All right. Although you do have to say, right now it's a it's a two and a half strikeout or for almost yeah two it's a two strikeout difference per nine. So that's that's definitely something. And also, you know, Boston's gonna. I mean, I think Boston's gonna win more games. The Yankees don't uh, look particularly exciting right now. Oh, you're not excited by the Alfonso Soriano acquisition, huh? <laughs> it's not not tickling me down there. You don't like his sub three hundred on base percentage, do you? No, no, not that much. <laughs> All right, let's move along to Ian Kennedy, who fantasy owners that actually still own him and haven't dropped him by now are probably celebrating because he moves from a hitter friendly Arizona to a pitcher friendly San Diego. So I'm sure he's now sitting or he had been sitting on free agency in a lot of twelve team mixed leagues. If you were playing in one, would you now pick him up? Yes. So yes, are, I would. I first time, first time he's ever uh, pitched in a in a in a home park like that. And uh, you know, if you look across his line, the biggest thing that always jumps out is his home run rate. And uh, I just don't think. I mean, I know, I know he's a bit of an extreme fly ball, but you know, he's not as extreme as he used to be. And um, and this, I think this will just really work for him. I know we just stuck finished talking about you know win totals too, and he's probably not going to win a lot of games. But I do think that it'll be good for him across the board, and he's always been a strikeout guy, so I, I do like it. Yeah, and the thing is, is the Padres' offense this year isn't as bad as we've come to expect. They're actually not that far behind the Diamondbacks and, and Woba on the season. And uh, obviously the fences were moved in over the offseason. And so San Diego isn't as pitcher-friendly as it's usually been, but it still does favor pitchers. And I'm actually a little surprised by his walk rate because if you look at his first strike percentage, it's basically right in line with what he's been doing every year with the D-backs. So you wonder why his walk rate is at 3.5. So you got to assume that that comes down a bit. He still has a, a healthy strikeout rate. And uh, even though his Sierra of 4.23 isn't good, it is still a full run below his 5.23 ERA. So I think he makes for a good target in NL only leagues. And yeah, I think he's going to have a bit of value in uh, in shallow 12 team mixed leagues the rest of the way as well. I would I basically, you know, sometimes when I, when I'm looking at these guys, the, it's almost like about a percentage of how many starts I want to start them. That that makes it a determination of whether or not they can sit on your bench versus being a spot starter. And if a guy is, you know, like a 40% starter, like you only want to start him in 40% of his starts, then that probably sounds like a spot starter. But once you start inching past 50%, then I think that they become a guy you can keep on the bench and sometimes you sit him. 
And for me, I think Ian Kennedy is probably like 60-70%, because if you think about it now, you know, he stays in the West, so he still gets to go to L.A. and San Francisco. I'm not sure I'd start him in L.A. with the offense kind of clicking, but I would definitely start him in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, there's and that and they always the end of the season always favors inner like the division opponents. So um, I think probably the rest of the way I haven't counted it up, but I'd say probably the rest of the way I'd, I'd start him in 60 to 70 percent of his starts. You know, one thing that is actually a negative that I, I hadn't even looked at before until now, the D-backs actually lead the National Leagues by uh, a hefty margin in UZR 150, while the Padres rank 12th with a negative UZR. And they may lose their shortstop any day. Yeah. So, uh, is Everett Cabrera a good defensive shortstop? I don't have his uh, no. up. I mean, in the past, he's been bad. This year, he's been okay. But the problem is, if they lose him, um, it's Alexia Marista, maybe. And Alexia Marista is not a good shortstop. And then they they were trying Logan Forsythe there, and he's like a former third baseman who they tried at second base, who then they tried a shortstop. And I don't think that's going to turn out so well. Yeah, so defensively, I mean, he's surprisingly had a BABIP uh, basically at slightly above the league average the last two years. Surprising, just because a fly ball pitcher usually has a below league average BABIP, and you know he, he induces pop-ups. But his line drive rate is, is nearly 25% this year, which is pretty crazy. And, uh, I mean, his velocity is up slightly this year. So, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's some positives and negatives here, but the bottom line is this. It's Ian Kennedy. He's proven that he's a pretty solid pitcher. He's not pitching that much differently in terms of skills this year than he has in the previous couple of years. He's moving to a much better ballpark. So if you need pitching, I definitely think he's worth uh, taking a shot on and uh, and being patient and, and not just benching him because he has one bad start. Yeah. But what this does in Arizona is this pretty much guarantees that Randall Delgado is going to remain in the rotation for the rest of the year. And he's been quite the surprise. He was a, a big brace prospect. Obviously, he came over uh, in the Justin Upton deal. And uh, 285 ERA in uh, eight starts and 53 innings. Any chance of – obviously, he's not going to sustain a sub-3 ERA. But does he have a chance to maintain, like, mixed league value all season? I, I mean, just for my eye test, I'd say no. Uh, I've watched a bunch of starts of his, and I, I'd say that I'm surprised he even put a 50-inning uh, stretch together like this. Although he did something similar when he first came up, but I don't, I just don't believe it. I mean, I can't even believe he has an above-average swing strike rate. I, I don't even get that. When I watch him pitch, I'm totally, totally unimpressed with all of his pitches. Well, you have to admit, isn't his changeup pretty good? Because I, I watched a little bit of one of his starts, and and his changeup looked really good. And I was watching it, and I'm like. He looks like a potential legit breakout guy. The only thing is, is that his control right now is significantly better than anything he's ever shown in the past, and, and, and that's the I think the biggest surprise. Yeah, and I mean I, I'm scrolling down to his uh, first strike rate. I he's doing it with the first strike rate right now. So I mean it, it could be could be something believable, but I I mean okay the changeup is 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 why he's in the bigs. I mean. Uh, it's not a 91 mile an hour fastball, um, and the curveballs, you know, meh. So uh, I just, you know, I'm surprised by any of all of this, and you know, I do, I do know that we've done some research on first strike rate, and that might suggest that he's going to have better control this year. But if you just look at his career, it's all fours and three and a halfs in, in terms of walk rates. He's uh, 
he's got a career walk walk percentage around 10%. So I, I don't think that he's just going to have it and it's going to stick. Yeah, I mean, I would be a little bit more optimistic if that strikeout percentage was better. Uh, he's shown decent strikeout rates in the minors. And uh, the swinging strike rate, 10%, that does suggest uh, a better strikeout rate moving forward. It's possible that he hasn't really gotten called strikes, which is uh, basically capping his strikeout rate at the moment. But even if his first strike rate does suggest that maybe the walk rate right now is no fluke, you have to point to his past and say, well, can he keep that up? And it's hard to believe that he wakes up one day and suddenly he's a control artist, just given how bad his control has been in the past. Do we even know that uh, it's him and not Skaggs? Uh, I would think, based on how the two have pitched, that it's got to be Delgado. I mean, Skaggs' ERA is like five right now after he's killed my labor team. So (laughs) I would venture to guess that, yeah, it's got to be Delgado because he's been pitching consistently well. That's weird. The Yahoo depth charts has three pitchers on Arizona. So (laughs) let me check our depth chart. Maybe we'll do better. Uh, Let's see. For us, wait. That's not the... Well, also Brandon McCarthy, remember, he's out now. Trevor Cahill is out. So, I mean, these guys are probably going to be back in the next couple of weeks. And that's probably why those depth charts are missing those guys. Yeah. Completely forgot about those guys. Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, I actually like Cahill a little bit. I don't know why he, had, you know, he he's been kind of adding strikeout rate and becoming more interesting. And he always had like more strikeout rate upside, you know, when he was um, no, young. But uh, you know, it hasn't really come to fruition. And yeah, so I guess when they're fully healthy, it's Corbin, Miley, McCarthy, Cahill, and Delgado. So Skaggs' time is limited. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think Delgado is a guy who does have some sort of breakout potential, but 12-team mixed league, I think he's basically streamer material, replace, near-replacement uh, level. One of those guys where if he has a two-start week that has good matchups, you pick up if he's available. But I wouldn't feel comfortable throwing him out there as a regular member of my rotation each week. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's move along to Bud Norrist. Getting out of the Houston area and uh, Minute Maid Park and moving to a contending Baltimore Orioles. Now, I know you published an article on him yesterday. I published one on him today. We basically concluded with the same thing. And uh, that is, we don't really like him. But, I mean, does his value get a boost moving to Baltimore? Because he's obviously on a better team. Yeah, but... He's in a much worse situation in terms of uh, home ballpark, at the very least. Yeah, which is uh, weird. Because, I mean, Minute Maid Park, I think the perception is that it's a a real hitter's ballpark, which is just not the case. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, if you look across the line, um, you know, basically some 98s, some 101s, you know, homers... Homers by righties are are augmented by five percent. That's the biggest thing. So there must be something. There's a little something going on there with a the short porch, I think, somewhere. But uh, yeah, in general, you know, as long as the center fielder doesn't die running up that hill, um, <laughs> that is so crazy. Like seriously, <laughs> when ballpark first was introduced with that that whole hill, I'm like, how is that even legal? And don't they still have the flagpole in the middle of that hill? 
I think they actually got rid of that. But still, that's I mean, dangerous. It, it looks mean, like an ACL, blow, a blown ACL. <laughs> yeah. How how has no center fielder ever like pulled uh, a muscle or or really injured himself running up that hill? I don't get it. Yeah, it's weird. But um, yeah, you know, I guess you also have to think about the division that they're in, and uh, there are some, you know. The Rangers ballpark is just as bad as um, as the Orioles. Uh, and if you actually look at the – well, see, the Orioles and the Yankees. Oh, my God. He's going to pitch in Yankee Stadium. And in the, the Sky Dome in Toronto, which is also a hitter's park. Yeah, I mean, I just – ugh. I, I, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree because I don't, I don't think that – he really gets much of a boost because he uh, he moves to a worse ballpark. He does have better defensive support behind him, but I just don't think that he's very good. He's just not a good bet in the AL. Strikeout rate is way down this year, and he yeah. stinks against lefties. And, and you wonder how he's managed all of these seasons as a starting pitcher with not being good against lefties and why he hasn't tried to improve his changeup or, or add something that can get lefties out because his current – repertoire just isn't working yeah um yeah i don't know it's a the the i looked at the changeup. he is trying to change things a little bit i mean he's throwing the changeup almost twice as much to lefties as he used to and his changeup is not good i mean yeah literally every season his pitch value for his changeup has been negative every single year (laughs) just bet oh so is his fastball his only good pitch is his slider well that one's i think is a little bit weird I don't know. I don't know how that happens because in the past he's had like a 94 mile an hour fastball, and I remember watching him be like, "Well, he might be a lights out reliever. Like I think he'd be a pretty good reliever." So sometimes those uh, pitch type values are just like what happened on the fastball. So uh, it doesn't necessarily, you know, if he if he didn't set them up right, or if they were wait, if they were sitting on the fastball and just yeah. avoiding the slider, then they might, then you know, that might be what happens. But um, yeah, in this case with the changeup, I do believe it, and also I, d- I looked at like the component things like we were talking about earlier, and, and just he doesn't get any whiffs with it. He gets like he gets seven percent whiffs on his changeup, which is basically like what people get from a fastball. That's which awful. Is awful. And then he doesn't even get above average ground ball rate from his changeup, and the changeup like one of the m- main points of the changeup is to get ground ball. So, yeah, I don't know about him. I, I you know, the thing is, I guess. The worst case scenario is actually not that bad for the Orioles, which is that, you know, he's passable this year and, you know, you know, has some bad starts, has some good starts, and they make it in the postseason, and then he goes into the bullpen in the postseason, and then when they come back next year, Gossman is healthy, and they just put Norris in the bullpen, and he could even be their closer, you know, <laughs> so going forward. So, and they have him for two years. He's probably not going to cost more than five, six, seven million in the next couple of years. So, you know, to have a two-year closer that might step in after Johnson leaves, he's much more of a the strikeout uh, type closer. You know, I, I think his his velocity would jump back up to 94, 95. Just look at Tommy Hunter. That's exactly. And you know what? Tommy Hunter kind of looks like Bud Norris, and so I had the two on my mind. <laughs> but you know, I think that we also did the same thing when Tommy Hunter was traded. We're like. What the hell are they thinking? Tommy Hunter's a reliever, and then they made Tommy Hunter a reliever, and he's great. So, I mean, yes, it's not great to trade for a reliever, 
but at least they trade. You know, they traded for a reliever that didn't cost. I mean, he almost paid reliever prices. I mean, I don't know what Hayter's going to do, but Hose Hose is a uh, is a has a second baseman's bat and as a corner outfielder's glove. So it's uh, very unlikely to me that he becomes a regular. Uh, and he was definitely a very flawed piece. So, you know, they didn't spend a lot, and they got a guy who might help them in the stretch run this year while Gossman and Bundy, while Bundy's hurt and Gossman's not quite ready, and then might next year be their closer. All right, what do fantasy owners do now with Carlos Gonzalez? Sprained right middle finger. He re-aggravated it recently. He's out of the lineup today. Might be out for the next couple of days. They still aren't saying that he's going to be going on the DL, but it does sound like it's something that Cargo is going to be playing with the rest of the season. And and there obviously is a risk that at any day he's going to suddenly be placed on the DL with a couple of weeks of rest, especially if the Rockies... The Rockies are seven and a half games out. I mean, if they fall to ten games out, they're not going to be in it anymore. I don't think there's really any reason for the team to risk playing him and really having him hurt. So you have to think that at some point they're just going to put him on the DL just to rest him because they have nothing to play for. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. if you are an owner, would you start shopping him and basically, even if it's 80 cents on the dollar, trying to trade him away? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I just hate these doctor-type questions. I mean, Doctor-type questions. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, sprained finger, if you're a basketball player, is a really big deal. I guess it could be a big deal for, for swinging. Yeah, you're gripping the bat with your finger, and if it hurts like when you're gripping, you you would think that he, he wouldn't be able to, to swing as hard, and, it, and it's keeping him out of the lineup. So Yeah, and, and the play that you saw was you saw, like, he couldn't, you know, like he had, like, worse bat control because he, like, swung through and, it, and the bat flew out of his hand, and that's when he was hurt. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess I would uh, shop him. I guess I would shop him. I guess, you know, I might shop him in a little bit more in head-to-head leagues because in Roto you can just kind of, like, pray and hope and, and, and get the most out of him and not sell him low. But in head-to-head leagues, he's already on, like he's pointed out, he's on a team that's not going to be around in, the, in, the, uh, in September, and they're going to have every reason to sit him. And, um, you know, that's already a little bit problematic when it comes to head-to-head. You're just always worrying when they're going to sit a guy. So maybe, maybe you trade for a younger guy or a guy on a better team. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you use it as an excuse to upgrade a pitching problem, you know. Or, you know, take a guy like Fernandez, put him together with Carlos Gonzalez and, and send him to a rebuilding team and basically fill in every single flaw that you have on your team. I mean... A, a two for eight deal. Just plug all my holes. Exactly. <laughs> plug all my holes. All right. He's got a little dirty. <laughs> all right. Last guy I wanted to talk about is Rick Porcello, who there's two things that I wanted to talk about with him. And first off is the, the trade that the Tigers made, obviously in anticipation of Johnny Peralta being suspended and accepting that suspension of biogenesis. And they got Jose Iglesias, who is uh, excellent defensively. What was odd, though, I was looking at Johnny Peralta's numbers, and his UZR 150 has been okay, meaning suggesting that he's, you know, he's, he's a fine, he's a passable shortstop defensively. But his fans' scouting report numbers have been absolutely atrocious. 
So it's a matter of what do you trust. I mean, I don't I don't watch Johnny Peralta on a daily basis, so I don't really know what's correct. But uh, you know, you hear that Johnny Peralta isn't very good defensively, so I would tend to believe the fan scouting report. I mean, do you have any insight into that defensively for Peralta? Yeah, actually, I think there's a couple things going on. I mean, he's he's been behind. When I talked to uh, Brandon Crawford about his defense, he said that it's been great to be behind the same pitchers uh, his whole career. And one thing that you could say about Peralta has been he's been behind uh, the same pitchers for a long time. Um, so I think that helps him just as a player understand you know where these pitchers are trying to throw the ball and where where hitters hit the hit it off the pitchers. Another thing is UZR doesn't really account for positioning because it's impossible to do so because the cameras, the TV doesn't show positioning before every play. So um, basically, uh, we're giving credit for positioning to the players. And so if, if you know, Peralta doesn't have the athletic skills to be a great defensive first, uh, shortstop, and we know that because you can see it with yourself and, and the fans scouting report. That's what they're saying, basically, is look at this guy. He's not he's kind of bad bodied. He's not a great shortstop. What's happening is probably that Detroit is spending a lot of effort and time in scouting spray charts and positioning him correctly. And so therefore, he's getting credit for the positioning and it's un, it's masking some of his um some of his athletic shortcomings. So that's I think that's what's going on there. And um, I think that Iglesias, no matter what, is a, is a huge upgrade. So would you bump up? I mean, Rick Porcello right now, 58% ground ball rate. Every year in the majors, he's been at 50% and above. Would you give him a, a, a value boost and even like a Doug Fister, a value boost, just because the promise of some better infield defense, which is what they drastically need, is going to happen possibly shortly if Peralta does accept his suspension? Yeah, in, in fact, you can actually look at, uh, I think that I saw somewhere, um, maybe Paul Sporer said that the top, that four of the top 15 uh, Babips in the AL belong to uh, Detroit's starting pitchers. So um, I think he's really going to be a help to all of them. But in particular, uh, Porcello, because there's the, um, the research that C- that went into Sierra found that you know a 44% ground ball rate is eh, a 46% ground ball rate helps you a little bit, but then when you start getting to 40, like 8, 50, 52, like once you start really pushing it past there and you get an elite ground ball rate, that's when you start to see Babbitts go down because probably because um, your entire defense is on their toes all the time and and. and and sort of expects ground balls from you as opposed to sort of an average ground ball rate guy. So, um, and then, you know, tie that back into the, the interview that I did with him, which is that he's working on his, on his curve ball, he's, which helps him. He, I didn't realize this, but he has bad platoon splits for his career. And he used to just basically throw a slider and the, and the sinker a lot and, and have bad platoon splits against lefties. So, you know, he went from the slider to the curve ball. And that has really helped us with doing splits this year. And that, that's one thing that's really great. The curveball goes in and out because it's basically his first year. He's a rookie with the curveball. And uh, I think that as he gets more and more comfortable with the, the curveball, I think he might have a good, a good end of the year. Yeah, that was the other thing I wanted to ask you about is when you interviewed him, I know you talked about the curveball. Did you mention anything to him about his struggles with runners on? Because a lot of times we see low left on base percentages and we say, oh, it's just bad luck. He'll improve in that respect. But 
His skills actually decline with runners on base. His strikeout rate throughout his career has dipped. His walk rate has increased significantly. In, in fact, with men on base, his walk rate more than doubles compared with bases empty. And his XFIP is well above four with men on base versus a sub four with bases empty. Uh, the ground ball rate is is essentially the same. So did you speak to him at all about his problems from the stretch? I didn't, but we did talk a lot about his release point, and I, you know, he talked about it with respect to his curveball. But you know, looking at his release points over his career, they have changed a lot, and so that to me says that here's a guy who has a lot of natural talent, but um, maybe has some trouble repeating his delivery, um, and he knows about it, and he's trying his best to do something about it. And you know, when he's going good, the release points all in one place, and he's happy. Um, so that says to me that, like, yes, he could have a problem with somebody on base because, you know, you kind of go from your windup to the stretch, and that means that's a whole nother set of release points, basically. That's a whole nother set of mechanics that you have to learn. So uh, you probably do that less often at work on uh, pitching from the stretch or, you know, pitching with runners on type deal. So uh, I think that there is uh, a little bit of... Uh, I think there is a little bit of something there. I, I wish I had talked to him about it, but um, uh, I do think that he's just that's what's that's what's going on. He's a little bit less of a risk now that his platoon splits it ironed out, but he's a bit of a risk based on his inconsistent mechanics. So, do you think that that's like fixable? His problems from the stretch and his mechanics. Because we always say that these things are, I mean, it's more, it seems like it's more fixable than a matter of stuff. You, you can't just yeah. say, oh, you only throw 89. Oh, but if you just threw 92, then you'd be successful. <laughs> I mean, that's not going to happen. But it just seems like problems from the stretch, which is something that Lincecum dealt with and has been dealing with uh, last year. I don't remember his strength rate this year, but I know last year it was a problem. And it just seems like it, it's a lot more fixable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, would, I would agree because... You know, he's got, he's got the, uh, he's definitely got the stuff and, you know, he, he is young enough that he's not losing the stuff yet. And then what you'd think is the longer, you know, if he'd been pitching with a curveball since he first came in, then I would say, well, you know, he's been pitching a long time. If he can't figure it out yet, he can't figure it out yet. But uh, now that he's got this curveball, maybe it's his best pitching mix. I would give him a year or two before I said, okay, he's just always going to struggle with his release point and he's always going to be up and down. Yeah, I mean, if, if we, if, if the Tigers get a makeover on defense, especially in the infield next year, and Porcello's ERA basically finishes at around four and his Sierra also finishes at, right now it's at 336, and it finishes in that area, you better believe that he's going to be a sleeper on a lot of lists for next year. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on the Sleeper on the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.